Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sallam. Welcome to the Safina Society podcast. We are joined today by, I wouldn't call them guests since uh, they've always been on our team and uh, they've sort of just been on the back end. Mufti Niaz, he's joining us today. He's been on previous episodes and we have uh, another Brother Fahim Farouk, uh, he's, I have a little short bio that I'll read for him. He's, uh, he's the founder and head coach and manager of Focus 180. It's a holistic platform devoted to remastering Rujala. Uh, so with his team, he focuses on offering men and boys a, ver- a variety of fellowship, relationship, nutrition, fitness, and MMA coaching programs uh, to tackle various aspects of masculinity, health, and lifestyle optimization. Wow. Uh, and he he actually has a private studio which I went to uh, a dojo out in uh, out in uh, Ontario Canada. So he offers remote programs and facilitates fellowship groups. And he's also super duper smart. And he works on our uh, back end team for Safina Society to do a lot of the research for a bunch of episodes. Uh, and and so he's been uh, very involved with the the, the past uh, bunch of episodes. So he's just never been on as a as on the. On voice, but now that we're doing this remotely, alhamdulillah, he was able to join us. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. I never knew Fahim had a dojo. <laughs> alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So, you're, so you're an MMA guy? I am, alhamdulillah. Have you ever fought like, like in some kind of competitive fight? I fought in, uh, I've competed in boxing and in wrestling and jujitsu, but I never all together in a combined MMA setting. So you far, but not competed. But, in, in you, so, but I, in terms of boxing and wrestling and jujitsu, I have competed. That's impressive, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. And how did you? How so, did you compete? C- competed means entered the competition or competed. Did actually, you, competed. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. That's good, man. That's yeah. really impressive. Alhamdulillah. Mashallah. Jazakallah khair, uh, brother Muin. I really appreciated that you, you, you definitely. Uh, Praise me far, far more than I'm worthy, <laughs> but alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, that's it's really, it's really impressive. So the reason why I actually wanted to bring uh, both of these guys so on. Another, uh, go ahead, Mufti. Uh, okay, so no, I just had a quick question. Just curious. What's the difference between a dojo and a regular gym? What, what makes it a dojo? I think that if you're good and you go there so much that the place stinks of sweat, <laughs> it's a dojo, right? That's it. If it's clean and it smells nice and there's all sorts of good looking people there, it's a studio. It's too soy. It's too soy to be a, a real dojo. I just read a, a speaking on the topic, I just read a really interesting uh, quote from somebody. He said that when when if, if women make friends and they talk to each other, they they literally talk to one another. But when men talk, they talk about a, a abstract concept outside of themselves, which is why that they could get so heated, right, mm. about a topic and it doesn't offend their friendship because they're not talking to one another. They're talking about a subject, right? Mm. Interesting. An abstract yeah. subject. Yeah. It also applies to how men become friends. They don't become friends by getting into one another. You said that uh, women tend to get, and I'm sure like we can't generalize, it's supposed to be like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, gendered or whatever, but that's what we believe in. We believe in that there are some some things that are uh, common across the genders. They said that women, when they get to become friends, they get become friends by getting into one another's lives and, um, you know, helping each other and giving each other support. 
But when men become friends, they must become friends through a shared struggle, right? Where like they common get, interests or they, something, yeah. Yeah, common interest. They can get dirty. They could get uh, roll their sleeves up and have a common enemy, right? And that's why male friendship, and I definitely went through this, is seasonal. So in, in the fall, you're friends with your soccer teammates, right? In the winter, you're friends with hockey teammates. In the spring, you're friends with, you know, a different type of teammate. So your friend circles shift in that way and nobody takes offense because, you know, your, your friendship is based upon a shared struggle. So it was interesting and it also leads into your topic today of masculinity. Yeah, and, and it, it's actually really interesting. One of my uh, favorite reads is C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. And yeah. one of the loves that he talks about is friendship. And he only dives into friendship between men because he says that he can't relate to, to friendship between women. He's just, that's just not something that he can talk about. And yeah. one of the things that he does talk about is this concept of, of how men are, interact with one another. Yeah. And another thing that he also brings up is as soon as you add a woman into a conversation of men, it absolutely changes the entire dynamic. Of Subhanallah. Yeah, totally. like just, just based on, I mean, this is obviously his anecdotal yeah. uh, understanding, but like, I, I also think it's true, right? Uh, yeah. That when you, the, the way men interact and, and deal with things and, and, and our friends is very, very different than how women are. Yeah, definitely. Undeniably. I think there, there's definitely room for overlap uh, and there are areas of overlap and there are variables that can affect the friendship orientation and, and development process, like your temperament conditioning. But generally there's no doubt that there's, there are gender differences and, and men tend towards, you know, uh, relationships that are, are tied to their projects or their mission. So talk, talk to me about that. Tell me, I need you to expand on this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you seem like you, you know what you're talking about here. Explain. Well, when it comes to the ways that men form, maintain and deepen relationships, uh, as Dr. Shadi mentioned, there are gender differences and we, we find that this idea of being able to abstract or, or almost needing to gauge each other's principles, this is something that we find between men, even when it comes to, you know, the way we, we debate each other, right? The way we spar each other. We, we have this ingrained into us, not just by nurture, but by nature. And, and, and the correct nurturing can develop it in the right direction. And that right direction is aligned with our nature and it's to test each other, right? We, we, polish each other we test each other's metal <clears throat> and in so doing if if both sides are able to display competence they win each other's respect or one side recognizes that they can learn from the other if they're if they're humble they may not have dis, uh, displayed the same level of competence but they can they if they're humble they can gauge that i can learn from the other side this this person is worthy of becoming my mentor and I can, I can commit and become a mentee. So that's also another way a relationship forms between men. Um, with women, you know, there is sometimes a, a, a dynamic of testing, but it's not usually based around testing each other's metal. You won't, you won't see women uh, having a long, you know, long threads of back and forth debates with each other on, you know, just to test an abstract concept. Oftentimes it will involve more personal dynamics it will involve things directly associated with that relationship, with the person, the, the personalities in the relationship. Whereas for men, we want to know 
what's at, what's at the root? What's at the root of this discussion? The principle, we're, we're trying to dig that principle up. Now, it's not that one is necessarily superior to the other on an absolute scale, but it depends what your goal is. Mm-hmm. If your goal is to, you know, get to know a person's personhood, uh, to understand their thoughts and feelings on a certain matter, then <coughs> then it, it's not enough to be legalistic, you know, to to stay within the confines of a structured, you know, conversation, argument, you know, this is, this is, this is my logical syllogism. These are the premises. This is the conclusion. Yes. That tells you, that tells me that you can reason. And that tells me that you can, you can infer soundly, but it doesn't necessarily tell me uh, how committed you are to your beliefs. It doesn't necessarily tell me how much have you struggled to get where you are. So when it comes to being able to express the latter, then you do have to get more personal. You do have to share your person more. Yeah. Uh, it, so, so one of the things that I think that what you're pointing to is that uh, I think that men tend to, there, there could be anecdotal evidence that over the years and centuries that they've proven to really love certain ideas and principles, even more than pe- the people themselves. Right. And they only love a person because he possesses these ideals and principles. That's and it, they right? are toughness, competition, com, competi- competitiveness or competition, loyalty, okay, competence at something, be competitive, uh, be comp- know, you know how to do something well, teamwork, and commitment. And above all, the, these are, uh, you could call all these principles, right? Yeah. So people, Guys like guys because of principles, more not necessarily for himself, right? Um, and the, one of the proofs of that is that a lot of times a guy will drop another guy like a hot potato because the guy contradicted one of the principles that was the basis of the relationship to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, you know, behavior that, 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 that people have. But I think that that's what it is. And that's, uh, and if you look, and so... First of all, all of what we're talking about is an observed study. Therefore, there's no necessarily right or wrong, right? But I do think that it's an observed science or study that I think that a lot of, we can get a majority. I, I think you can get a consensus to say uh, that that's the case. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, journals of applied social psychology, um, you know, they, they've published many, many different studies. And, and, and the thing about psychology is it has a massive problem when it comes to repro- reproducing results or ex- in, in uh, experiments. And so for that reason, it, it can't qualify as a hard science. Yeah. But if you look at the, at, the, at the data and you look at research in areas of psychology that are higher in quality, you, you'll find that, you know, they all show very clearly that there are, there are different trends between male and female uh, relationship patterns, and even the even the types of archetypes that that can represent the ways in which men and women relate. Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, when we were talking about uh, in the Thinking Muslim podcast, and and one of the things I thought about is what are the forget what masculinity is, but what are the errors of masculinity, right? And the misunderstandings of masculinity. And you just mentioned the word archetypes, which is that sometimes people take masculinity to only refer to as the so-called type A personalities. And this is a total mistake. And it's not even acceptable in Islam 
because we have prophets themselves who are very clearly what you would call a beta type of personality, which means not the alpha. So what, do you, what would you call the great prophet of Allah, Harun, the brother of Musa, alayhi salam, right? For sure, 110%. Yeah. 110%, he's the uh, beta person. He's the supporter. He's not the alpha. He's the supporter. And 110%, Musa, alayhi salam, is the leader. So this idea that the masculine, the man, has to be an alpha is a falsehood, right? Absolutely, yeah. And we In have fact, to, <clears throat> I think that, sorry. I was just, just going to conclude and say that false representations of masculinity, they harm men first. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. men's own mis misunderstanding of masculinity, the first person it harms is another guy, right? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. In fact, I, I think that the the distinction between uh, the alpha and the beta is, is very is superficial. And it first evolved out of the pioneering days of the, of the red pill, which is an area of what's called the manosphere. Yeah. Because if you, if you really uh, study the form and function of masculinity, we, we can represent femininity and, and masculinity as complementary forms, and they each carry functions. And some of these functions are complementary. Some of them are shared. Some of them are shared, but they differ in capacity. For example, uh, both men and women can fight, but we know that men have a higher capacity to fight. Yeah. Both men and women can nurture, but we know that women have a higher capacity to develop their nurturing. Correct. Yeah. And so on and so forth. So when it comes to that so-called alpha and beta uh, distinction, it's, it's, it's very superficial because we can see that all men, regardless of their temperaments, and regardless of their personality types, still have to be leaders within a certain scope. So if there are two men, and one of them has to defer to the other, because the other is the, is the net leader, it doesn't change the fact that the, the, the one who's deferring to the net leader is still a leader himself over his own structure. For That's example, right. his family, yeah. right? Or, or, or an area that he's been delegated to lead and steward. So just like that hadith you know, they're, everyone is a, is a shepherd over their own uh, flock. And yeah, so, that, makes, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. So masculinity, it should be seen more in terms of the ability to lead and, yeah. and the functions that that involves. Yeah, and before we head to Moin, the Sharia itself obligates a bare minimum amount of leadership, which is over your flock, your family. And, and Nazmo is actually not here, but he just he just hopped off. But I had a I remember he brought up uh, something a few podcasts back. Is that a lot of the sort of existential angst that's felt by males today is actually due to the fact that we don't live in a society anymore that requires this sort of aggressive leadership, even in the home, right? Back, uh, you know, in the past, there was always this idea of even going to war for example right yeah. nowadays you 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 hear about a lot of struggles with women and those struggles are valid and real i understand that but one thing that that used to counterbalance a lot of that in the past is men had to do one thing that women didn't have to do which was go to war right yep. at the drop of a dime and yep. it happened all the time right and it was like you could walk out into the corner and get stabbed like you know in, in the old in the old world That's that didn't true. Like, and it was, it was, this was a very uh, valid concern that people have, like walking around the corner, hey, I might just get stabbed in the market, 
Right? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. And, and that's something that uh, doesn't happen today. And because of this lack of, not, I'm not just talking about danger, but lack of, um, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how to put the words on it, but uh, th- this lack of uh, necessity, necessity, necessity. Yeah, that's that, it, yeah. and, and also lack of a challenge. Yes. Right. Uh, so, and, and I think those, uh, because now the world has become such that the things that made males males and, and, and added into this masculine component, a lot of it has been sort of relegated, right? And it's not, not as important anymore, right? Uh, and, and so I, I feel like that's where a lot of this spiritual angst comes from uh, and, within males. And uh, we're going to go to Mufti, but one thing right away is that uh, one of the reasons that Islam, one of the ni'mas that Islam has is the concept of obligation and hellfire, right? Because in the absence of those natural t- tensions, like war and, you know, um, you know uh, wild animals attacking you and war and all that and that stuff, that those, those bad things produce something good, right? Okay, now we remove those bad things. Sharia now obligates us to do certain responsibilities, right? It prohibits and obligates. By prohibiting things like zina, you're forced to get married. By fo- being forced to get married, you're forced now to provide. By being forced to provide, you have to go compete with other guys who are trying to provide, right? So it does force a guy into that. Now take that stuff away, and what is there to force a man to do anything when maybe he could uh, you know, co- cohabit without getting married, okay? Things like that. Now, another point is nothing is better for the so-called masculinity, or if we're going to say that this forced challenge on a man, nothing is better than a woman who believes in the Sharia too. Because a woman who believes in the Sharia, she will say, look, I'm not paying, right? I want you to provide like the Sharia says. I want you to go out there and fight. You're, you're, you're going to have a different fight. It's going to be corporate fight. It's going to be a competitive business fight. It's going to be other fights, right? But she forces that, all right? And she expects that. And her dad expects that. And her mom expects that. And your mom and dad expect that. So all that stuff, you know, like if you get a security system in your house, she's not going to go and talk to the ADT guy. You go and talk to him, right? You go put it in. You go make sure the doors are locked. All these little things, they add up to responsibility. And in the end of the day, I think what masculinity is, is it's certain responsibilities. And uh, as nice as kufr is in being permissive of everything, it's permissive of zina, it's permissive of everything, but it also has taken away and stolen your responsibilities. You're not obligated to do anything. So therefore, there's a lack there. You're some, there's something missing because of that absent responsibility. Mufti? I mean, uh, I wanted to just kind of bring up something, go back to what Dr. Shadi mentioned about these observations, and you also mentioned it about uh, men having to go into war at any specific time. But um, the Arabic word that, I mean, I think of, I tried to look for it as well, did some research on is the word futuwa. Uh, specifically, I think uh, what Fahim Bai and Dr. Shadi, you guys all are alluding to. But um, I mean, in pre-Islamic Arabia, this Arabic word fatta was used to describe an ideal man who had three most desirable characteristics, mm, which is courage, right? So Maureen, what you mentioned about generosity and allegiance, loyalty. So we're talking about the reasons why men become friends and boys become friends with one another. 
I mean, it also was used from what I was able to find for certain bad habits as well, not necessarily good habits, but things like extravagance and like binge drinking as well. A person who would be involved in all of that stuff excessively was also referred to, referred to as a, uh, a fatan. But it does come in the Quran in a couple of different places, just a handful of places, referring to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Qalu sami'na fatayyadhkuruhum yuqalu lahu Ibrahim. Uh, surah Anbiya, uh, ayah number 60, Surah 21, ayah numbers, and also Ashab al-Kahf. And uh, I think maybe uh, we need more time to talk in more detail on a separate episode about the lessons from Surah Al-Kahf. But Allah refers to them as al-fitiyah. And when we look at Arabic words and roots, um, many of the different roots in the Arabic language that begin with the harf, the letters and the sounds fa and ta give the meaning of an opening or transition or separation or leaving behind Moving forward, Allah speaks about the heavens and the earth that we split them apart. Fata is an opening. When we talk about this concept of masculinity and specifically this concept of futuwa, that we're speaking about all these different ideas, the way I understand it is there is really no such thing as like adolescence in Islam. That you know, previously we've spoken about concepts like initiation into the tribe. And, uh, you know, we've spoken about uh, why probably there's different theories as to why you shouldn't separate kids by grade and things like that. But um, ultimately, uh, leaving behind immaturity, leaving behind dependency, leaving behind childhood and play and handling your responsibilities now. And, you know, if you're not a mature person, you won't be able to have courage or generosity or allegiance. And so Allah knows best. But uh, 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 Sunni scholars of the Sawuf, they've written about it as well. We can get to that as well. But I mean, I just want to throw that out there so that we can, shall I, take some benefit from that. Muf, the, uh, the one who suggested courage, generosity, and loyalty, was that Sulami? I believe so, yeah. Imam Sulami and also Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, who was probably the earliest uh, to have written specifically on the topic of Futua, but yeah, Abdurrahman, Abu Abdurrahman Sulami passed away 412 after Hijrah. Imam Jafar al-Sadiq was one of the earliest people who mentioned anything about this topic of, topic of Futua, masculinity, we translate as chivalry. Um, he passed away in 148 after Hijrah, but yeah, it is Sulami among others. Okay, so um, this idea of no teenage years, important topic here. Before we proceed... Uh, I just wanted to comment on that definition. I, I like it, and it's definitely on point, but I believe that it requires already understanding a number of premises yeah. and frameworks. What, what I've noticed is when we look into the classical discussions around masculinity, we find these types of, of uh, discussions, and we'll also find uh, legal frameworks around the duties and responsibilities of men. But what we won't usually find is a ground up definition simply by virtue of the fact that in those times, even non-Muslims generally understood the structure of gender differences between men and women more than the current uh, postmodern Western you know, framework uh, demonstrates. Today, guys, they're so confused. They don't even have that pre-existing structure. So when they hear words like, and, 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 and females for that matter too, when they hear words like courage, um, generosity, loyalty, these words seem vague and 
they seem, uh, it, it seems as if we're essentializing character traits that people think, well, why can't women have those? What makes those uniquely masculine? And so um, until we discuss the, the actual foundations of masculinity and then build these virtues on top of that so that they have a context in, within which they fit that's uniquely masculine, people are going to continue to misunderstand. They're going to think, well, aren't we just essentializing these vague virtues that women can manifest in their own ways? Like a mother can be loyal to her child. Is that masculine or is that, is that feminine? And so for that reason, <clears throat> I was talking to one of my teachers and he, he actually used to do uh, marital coaching for, for, for men. He studied, you know, all these different movements in, in the, in the manosphere, everything from the pickup artists to uh, success gurus, because he, he found that there was a lack of Islamic scholarship that was in touch with those ground realities and the movements that were happening in the West while delivering uh, the, the truthful bits of them through an Islamic lens. And so he, he didn't want anyone to actually venture into those areas that involve a lot of un-Islamic concepts too, and then possibly get tainted. So he, he took it upon himself to study and to try to disseminate anything that was true. And he ended up offering coaching for men way before it was even something that was well known on, you know, on the, on the internet. And he, he, he puts it very, very beautifully. He says that masculinity is essentially the, the, the aim of being able to attain such a form that you can balance both Jalal and Jamal, the majestic energies and the softer and beautiful energies. So tenderness and aggression, uh, gentleness, and firmness, softness, and resoluteness. And when I, when I heard this, I thought this, this makes perfect sense because when we look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we see that both of these dynamics existed in, in perfection, the Jalali energies and also the Jamali energies. And, and subhanAllah, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when you said the word essentialized, could you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, for sure. So, to essentialize basically it means to to reduce to reduce into uh, as the as the root of the word essentialize would, would suggest an essential form that is a, you know allegedly unique only to one structure or one form and so people say oh how can you do that when when it's not that black and white when it's not not, not people are more complex than that but when we when we start to realize that well, you can still look at the net picture. You can still look at manifestations. You can still look at patterns. You can look at capacities and you'll find differences that correspond to masculine and feminine forms. You know, for example, the, the example that I gave about fighting, we're not essentializing and saying that only men can fight. Yeah, but we're saying that men, can, men have a far higher capacity to fight. So you're not limiting it to... Yeah. To, yeah. And some things I, are actually limited. For example, you know, anatomical differences. Yeah. yeah. Also, Susceptib responsibilities. Susceptibility Absolutely, to coronavirus. Yeah. yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Men are, men, are no more about that, though. men are more susceptible to coronavirus. You're so kidding me. What, what happens to all the uh, folks that, uh, you know, don't believe in those things? So. Well, um, I love fighting, to be honest with you. You know, uh, fighting in my day wasn't necessarily physical fighting. It was usually scrapping along the boards in the sport of hockey. There are these scraps that take place uh, for the puck. 
and you scrap and scrap like a junkyard dog along the boards and it's loud it's it's grimy it's um you know it's a lot of sticks banging and everyone grows up on a different you know sport or a different activity for me that to me was it's loud it's fast it's hard hitting people are going down getting hit getting back up it's exhilarating right and i think that uh you know i, I don't necessarily know if uh, uh you know across the uh, if you have some no, I think I uh, agree with what uh, Fahim Bai said as well. It's definitely not that complex. And obviously these definitions, the people who wrote it, there was definitely for a different place and a different understanding overall of the deen as well. But yeah, there's obviously natural and physical attributes, things like energy, strength, capacity that he spoke about, but also moral attributes like courage, generosity, allegiance. Um, and then if we go even further beyond that, morality, and spirituality as well, and perspective of all of these things as far as what is struggle. Um, yeah, something like fighting for a puck could be a very, very yeah. personal thing. It can become yeah, yeah. like it more important than actually scoring, right? Just, you know, for that moment, <laughs> getting, you know, possession is... I grew up playing street hockey, not ice hockey, but yeah, we had some intense... We ran into a couple of mailboxes and yeah. You know, messed up some vans <laughs> no, and stuff. No, but yeah, it, it was in the moment. You're not thinking about anything else, right? Whereas yeah. you're supposed to be, right? You're supposed to be, but you're not. So I get nurturing those things and kind of figuring out a way to have it all come together right? in Absolutely. a complete Absolutely. holistic package. Yeah. And, and I think it's very dangerous for schools and parents to take this away from kids. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah, right? I don't think, I think the playgrounds should be, um, you know, uh, the, what happens on, used to happen on the playgrounds used to be a lot more fun than what happens today. Like we used to have football <laughs> games, soccer games, basketball games on the playgrounds in elementary school and middle school, right? Not so much in high school. No one did that stuff in high school, but elementary school, middle school, that would be completely uh, prohibited, banned today. And I think it does Absolutely. harm, yeah. right? Because when a real bully comes around, nobody understands his language, right? All right. Totally. Totally. So um, one thing that I, one, I found interesting, and so as you were talking about the definition of futuwa, mufti, and, and, and I'm not an expert in any, any of these matters, especially not even close to, to how Fahim or, or mufti might understand these things, even Dr. Shedi. But three things that I took away from that is, you know, when it comes to compassion, you, you said the three, three or what, courage, generosity, and... Uh, loyalty. Allegiance. Loy and, and allegiance. Yeah. Le same thing, loyalty. What I find really interesting is in the modern world, all three of those things are sort of stripped away from people, uh, especially men. And, and this is one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Mufti, since, since you work with uh, university students as, as a chaplain, is when it comes to, let me, I'll break it down. When it comes to, for example, uh, generosity, because we live in a very privileged world, it's, it's really difficult to be generous oftentimes, right? You have to go out of your way and it's not something that naturally comes about. And I know this is all anecdotal and it probably will differ person to person, but this is something that I notice. Maybe other people relate to it. The second is, uh, sorry, courage, right? And courage is now relegated to what? Being courageous at a meeting, uh, courageous enough to- Coming out as bi- Right. So like, I mean, it's very different what courage means today, right? Uh, like take 
women, for example, having to stand up to um, uh, a lot of attacks. And, and, and I actually do believe that women do face a t- tough time in the workplace and other things. And, and how people define like, oh, they're being courageous as women. The same thing doesn't really happen for men right nowadays, which is like, oh, men, you know, he stood up to his boss. It's just like, well, dude's supposed to stand up to his boss, you know, <laughs> like uh, that, that. So I, I think you take that away as well, because we live in, in, in the world that we live and loyalty. I think this is the biggest one. There is no, I, no concept of loyalty that, that men understand today. There's no loyalty to one's religion. There's no loyalty to one's community, to their town, to their job, to their family, to their household. There's no loyalty to anything. I would actually even argue that in the West, people don't even have loyal friends. Like, you know, I, I know I have uh, cousins back in India. Like these, these, these dudes, they would die for me, right? I can't even say the same for like my family here, right? Well. <laughs> One location, and I think that's one of the reasons why sports is a phenomenon, is that's one of the only places that loyalty still exists. Yeah, there you and go. And it's, it's not even the players. It's the fans. The players will jack his team in a second if he's going to get paid somewhere else, right? But it's the fans. And uh, another place where loyalty might be something is uh, corporations, where in the sense that the top guys, I think the top dogs who have the stock, and the top dogs who really have not, they're not collecting a salary. The guys who own the company, right? I think they view themselves, it's an adult version of sports, right? Not the, not the salaried workers, but the guys who have stock in it, the, the owners, they have taken this to be a different type of war. And the scoreboard is your, your asset sheet at the end of the day, your financial statement, that becomes the new scoreboard. But right? they're, loyal to money. they're not loyal to their company. No, but not, not if not if they're salaried, but if they're if they're co-owners, right? Like if five people own a company at different percentages, you'll find a very different dynamic because they have a lot to lose and a lot to. They're not salaried employees. I, th- I think we can pin this on. Sorry, Mufti, I'll uh, make this quick. Inshallah, uh, I think we can pin this on individualism, and individualism is fundamentally a social dysfunction. It's not. It doesn't fit our fitra. That's not how we were designed to relate. So we see these structures like corporations and sports teams, and they represent the only existing um, frameworks where humans build relationships towards, you know, a common goal to, to fulfill needs. In the case of corporations, those needs aren't, <clears throat> they're not clarified, they're, they're muddied, they, they're more in the form of desires. And, and the and same thing with the, with the sports teams, but because society at large is so individualistic, and people are so disconnected from how their fitra actually functions, they don't actually understand what it, what it actually even feels like to live in a society where there are functional relationships where, where, where like, for example, in a, in a sound Islamic state where Muslims are raised on Islam, how, how, how they would relate to each other with the correct concepts and with the correct conditioning to understand, you know, we, sh- we, have, to, we have certain principles that govern us, we have certain needs we have, certain, we have a certain purpose for which we exist that unites us. Our needs are not different. They're actually shared. They're universal. And we have, we have the same system and, and way of life, Islam, and the same model of perfection, Rasulullah wasallam, who shows us how to fulfill these needs through relationships in the best way. Uh, Mufi, do you have something to say? No, so I basically, Fahimba, I just kind of set up what I was going to answer. Muin's original question was... Um, generosity so i think what you mentioned about like the corporate 
example. I mean, it, all of it depends on perspective and context. So if we're talking about generosity, when we're talking about generosity as it applies to a business owner, it's very different to generosity as it applies to a service worker. As generosity, what does it apply to someone who is retired as opposed to what generosity means for someone who's a college student? All of it is there. There has to be an understanding of general. I think the, the ability to understand what it means to be generous based off of the perspective that you're coming from, that I think is the general concept. And then specifically, how do we apply that? That is what I think this whole topic of futua is going back to that. Um, each perspective is unique. The perspective of each trait is different. What does suburb mean for somebody who is um, a young person? What does suburb mean for someone who is in a difficult relationship? What does suburb mean for someone who has experienced illness or grief after loss? Um, so all of it is there. It's still suburb, it's still patience. We use the same verses of Quran, but Futuwa then becomes, when we talk about this topic of maturity, it becomes how do you apply it and understand the concept within each context. It's the perspective that's important. So yeah, um, the same amount of dedication that you, you give when you're competing together side by side by your teammate for the goal is that the same amount of dedication that you give as a husband or as a father in your family or as a coworker or as an employer or as a supervisor. Uh, ideally, all of it should find its balance within it and the ability to understand that perspective, I think, is what we can try to tie back this concept of masculinity to. So um, it's very important what you just said, because that perspective is going to be different on different values and views and faiths and beliefs and disbeliefs. Right. Uh, and now the, the new famous the new statement that everyone's repeating is people of faith and no faith. Right. People of all faiths. And no, have you heard this before? Like all the politicians are saying this, yeah. <laughs> people of all faiths and no faiths, right? And sometimes they say it in a statement that makes no sense, right? You know, some, something like uh, in these, uh, we pray alongside people of all faiths and no faiths. Well, what are the people of no faiths praying to? Right? <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense, right? Now, what it, the reason I bring this, this up is that uh, Mufti mentioned it's how we understand these concepts. And Fahim, you had previously mentioned this meninist red pill movement. Which is <laughs> meninist? It's meninists. Right? It's menists, right? I guess Mennonite is a religion, but menist, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's like menace almost, right? right? With a C. But yeah. menists, this is what they call them. M-E-N-I-S-T, mm. right? Or M-N-N-I-S-T. Yeah, I, I think that's like a meme version. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically the feminism of guys, basically guys version of feminism. So if women came in and said, let's define feminism. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about women. Let's take over the discussion. Let's fight for our rights, blah, blah, blah. Right. Which had a reason. They, they obviously had some gripes and issues that were valid uh, or else it wouldn't have existed. Uh, but now we have this menace to movement and this red pill movement and uh, I actually think, first of all, I want Fahim, since you, you seem to know something about it, um, could you tell us, base, I want you to basically give us a summary. Give us the, the three, four, five minutes uh, spiel about it. Because I'm, I'm sure some of the audiences don't know about it either. And then I want you to tell me if this has seeped into our own Muslim community and some of our own Islamic discourse, because I think it has been. I think it has seeped in 
and I see guys thinking that they're tough and, uh, you know, trashing, you know, trying to take every single opinion that would bother a woman, right? That's really what seems like their usul has become. And so can you uh, expound upon this, please? Bismillah. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. <laughs> we got an intro. You might have to say, A'udhu Billah, Well, you know, it's interesting because, it's interesting because just as uh, we find that feminism is, you know, an umbrella term for many different schools of thought and, and you know, different um different views and methodologies that have been formulated by different academics and 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 the intersection of various ideas we can see that when it comes to the manosphere although it's a lot younger and and therefore relatively less developed it's also not monolithic there are different gradients different areas within it different kinds of thinking patterns you have red waves yeah, you could say waves, wave. <laughs> in a sense, in a sense, but developments towards understanding what constitutes, you know, masculinity and femininity, uh, trying to determine the, you know, quote, science of relationships and successful relationships. Um, and, and, and because it's not monolithic, you have, you have areas within it where you have, you know, more secular people who take on an evolutionary biology look and try to, try to define and, 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 and uh, develop a framework of relationships based on what they think evolutionary biology confers. Then you have other areas that are more traditional. They're called uh, trad, trad circles. And it's interesting because there, there are actually females in these circles. It's not, just, it's not just filled with men. It's actually filled with also females who, just like you have in, in, the, in the feminist circles, you have male allies, you have female allies. White knights. Yeah, you could call them that definitely. Yeah. In in the uh, in in the uh, popular convention, but when it comes to the red pill circles, you have you have so-called female allies who they're they're not happy with um, modern populist ground forms of feminism, especially white middle class liberal feminism, and so they want to return to some kind of concept of tradition. Often they're Christians. Often they want a Christian or biblical narrative where you know the the, the man his role is defined biblically and the woman's role is defined biblically. So when I, when I, when I actually studied all these different circles, I found that the only core <clears throat> and overlapping um, principles that, that are common are this idea that the current discourse on gender is, is, is a farce. It's based on an inaccurate and unsound concepts and we need to re-examine how we look at relationships. I'm going to back up just a little bit here for uh, our audiences who may be unfamiliar with some of this terminology, specifically what red pill means. So, because I, I know people have asked me this, you know, you people, you guys talk about red pill. They're losers in my opinion. So, so yeah. red pill. That's the terminology. So, <laughs> Red red pill actually refers to the movie The Matrix, where Morpheus, you know, presents Neo two pills, the blue pill or the red pill. The blue pill means that he wakes up back in the Matrix and he doesn't really find out the reality of what's going on. Uh, he takes the red pill and he wakes up and is woke to the reality of what is around him. And so this term red pill 
has come to uh, mean a lot of different things, uh, especially in the, the political world. Like you hear of things like the deep state in America. Uh, if you're, if you're red pilled when it comes to politics, it means you're woke to these ideas and you don't follow traditional narratives and what the mainstream media is giving you. And what this red pill, you know, masculinity has become is this sort of anti-feminist movement. Uh, and it's, and it's sort of seeped into Muslim circles as well. Uh, although I would argue that it's only on Twitter, Muslim circles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of impact <laughs> on the on Muslim demographic, it's far less significant than what we see of liberal forms of feminism. It's, not it's even only that. on Twitter because that's the only place where you could be anonymous. <laughs> that's it's true. Right. It's true. But you do see it seeping, and I, and I I know it became big because of. A lot of the things that, for example, Daniel Hakikatuju was writing and, and uh, followers of his, not, I'm not even calling anybody out, but this movement of talking about gender differences came mm. about, you know, a few <clears throat> years ago within the Muslim community. And, you know, folks have even called us like red pill dudes. They've called that's the bad ridiculous. red pill dudes. That's so, ridiculous. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and that's so, what I'm saying is no one really knows what it means. So they're, they're just throwing the terms around. They have, most people haven't actually delved into it to see all the differences of opinions and internal clashes that exist. Um, I, I'm actually in touch with a lot of the non-Muslims who are, who pioneer the movement. And I, and I always chime in with what Islam has to say, just to give them a counter narrative, what I call the green pill. You know, we have, we have, mm. a, we, have we have the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hey, that's Allah. good. That's I'm good. Bad. The green, the pill, green you know? pill. That's a great episode. Type. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is here and here's your summary of the green pill here are the ingredients of this green pill right? <laughs> he just came up with it it's a great name but listen this is this is what it is i have a problem uh with uh, anything that says that men should have this attribute that attribute for the simple reason of when you're trying to argue that point you don't even have a distinct clear definition for these things right now, imagine if uh, we, we say that there should be gender roles, right? There should be certain uh, roles that are just, uh, uh, men have and women have, and that gives us a feeling of order, right? It gives us a feeling that our life has some kind of sense to it and predictability to it, right? When you go into a corporation, there's order in a corporation, right? In a company, you have certain people do certain jobs. The IT guy is not going to go in and talk books and numbers. The numbers guy is not going to go talk marketing. The marketing guy is not going to go talk about taking a loan, right? It's everyone's, uh, the, 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 the uh, comptroller who, you know, takes, deals with money, he is not going to go talk about HR and hiring. So why do you have this order? Because you have jobs are outlined. And so this is why I felt, and this is what I said on the Thinking Muslim podcast, is that the best way to define masculinity or femininity is by jobs, okay? The God-given commandments to do certain things, okay? And that's the only way. So how much courage does a Muslim man need? Muslim man should have courage, right? How much courage? Enough to get the job done, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't need to have a lot of courage, right, uh, in, this, in the modern day, and all you have to do is sign up for a security system like ADT, right, and they protect your home for you, you still did your job, right? At the end of the day. So how much generosity do, do you have to have? You have to have enough that you alleviate the poverty around you. So if there's not a lot of poverty around you in your community, then 
uh, you don't have to be that generous, generous enough. Or you could say generous enough that your family is happy with you, right? They're, they're, they're happy. You're generous you're meeting, enough. You're, you're right? meeting needs to exactly. create equilibrium. So that's why, where we have an advantage, but because we have a sacred source, we can pinpoint exactly what jobs Allah has said, you as a man, you must do these jobs, right? And everyone will get the job done in a different way. And if you fulfill those jobs, then you fulfilled the qualifications or qualities that we would together consider that's what a man is, okay? So if you have a man who's very soft-spoken, always smiling, right? His face is smooth, okay? Uh, he doesn't compete, do competitive sports, but he's an author. He writes books and he earns a nice fat paycheck. He buys a security system for his house. His wife is, he buys nice gifts for his wife. Okay. And he donates to the masjid and he gives to the poor. Okay. That's one guy. You have another guy. He loves football. He goes and he has hot dogs in the parking lot. What do they call it, Mufti, that you guys do in Philly? Right. Uh, having hot dogs <laughs> in the parking lot and all Tailga that. Tailgating party? Yeah. You, he goes Tailgating. To, he's got a beard this big. He gets on fiqhi fights uh, on the internet. Right. He gets into aqidah bouts at the masjid. But he's unemployed. His wife takes care of him. Okay. His wife is always complaining because he can't be generous to their family and, and make their family life better. Okay. They live because he doesn't work. They live in a dangerous area and she's always afraid when she goes out. Okay. By the so-called red pill standard, the football guy with, with a MAGA cap and a gun and everything, he's the more masculine guy. Right. And he votes Republican. The other guy, all smooth. <laughs> right. Author with a MacBook and a latte every day, right? And he's de he's a Democrat. We think like, what is this? This is this not right. But by the mizan of Sharia, by the scale of Sharia, hey, the smooth-looking guy, the author uh, on his MacBook and sipping a latte, he's doing his job, right? He's the better husband. He's the better man. Why? Because he did his job. So we have to pinpoint it to tasks that the Sharia has required you to fulfill. Right. And by doing that, we can give a fair scorecard. This is what I have to do. Right. In order to view myself as a man living correctly. Forget what other people think. doesn't matter what other people think. I know myself. Right. What it takes to be a man that's living in the right way. Right. And I'm a man in the sight <clears throat> of Allah. I protect my private parts. I do my job that Allah said. Right. I do this, this and this and this and this. Right. And now all the accidentals and what people think we could throw that all in the garbage. However, if the uh, Akida bro did get a good job, would that make him better? <laughs> oh, hey, <snap. laughs> hey, listen, because he has a, a, a louder voice, a scruffier look to himself. OK. Uh, what else? Aggressive. Let's say he lives in a rough part. He lives, he lives in a rough part of town. Okay. So he has to be more aggressive. If you live in the suburbs, you don't have to be more aggressive. You only need to be aggressive enough to protect your flock. Right. Yeah. That's it. So I, I would always look at it relative to the job. Is he getting the job done? Yes or no. Right. That's true. True. Some of the other story. I think it's useful. Go ahead. 
I think it's useful to also <clears throat> consider that, that that on top of getting the job done, which is very important, very important, that there's also the reality of capacities to get potential jobs done to have to have the ability and the skill to get potential jobs done too because i think that human beings in the fitra it's they still it still responds to people whose skill set represents the ability to give more than even what the current situation demands uh, we do have other kinds of needs so for example if we find that so the, the two the, the the two examples you gave uh, dr shadi of the seemingly you know soft demeanored guy but he's actually fulfilling his functions yeah. and the seemingly you know tough guy who's not actually fulfilling his functions it's a good one because we we we, we can they're, they're simple enough for uh, most people to appreciate and see archetypes of in, in real life but i think that when we look at masculinity we see that it really boils down to as i think mufti niaz mentioned earlier related to responsibility but i like to put it in the form of authority authority is really the most fundamental male form and authority encapsulates you know the fulfillment of everyone's needs and and so if you have two different guys we can call one of them charlie chump and the other guy joe the jerk charlie <laughs> chump he, he meets some of the needs he brings some of that soft energy but if he's doing it from a place of lacking authority while he's giving he's not giving in a way that is appreciated and nor is it a way that maintains the, the boundaries that keep the nafs of his, his followers in check. So that the need for their nafs to be in check so that they can actually nurture and, and develop in a discipline where that's not being met. And so how, how they respect him is going to be impacted. Meanwhile, Joe the jerk, he has a form of dominance, but he's not fulfilling anyone's needs. He's only enforcing dominance through the ability to apply pain. And so people may fear him, but they're not going to respect him. And someone stronger is going to see through him. Yeah. So I like to say, well, the guy in the middle, the balance of, of strength and, and softness, that's the man. Yeah. And all men have to try to get cl as close as they can to that middle form. Because even if other forms can fulfill some needs, that middle balanced form can fulfill all needs. Like Rasulullah And I think the, the easiest way is to live life with family, to live a family life. Yeah, absolutely. If you got to take care of your grandma... And you got to hang out with your dad and you got, you go out with your brothers, but you have to take care of your daughter, right? You have to develop just, yes. it's very hard to say to someone, develop courage, develop manhood, develop mercy. I don't even know what that is, right? But it's very easy for someone to say, go and take your little daughter out, you know, for a cup of hot chocolate. Learn how to do that. By learning how to do that, you'll learn to be gentle because any little thing, she's going to cry, right? Or get married, right? Learn and learn how this uh, woman views the world and how she views conversations. My first year of marriage was a disaster, right? I didn't know how to be a, I didn't know how to deal with women, period, right? Like, like intimately. So I, did, I, I would have debates, raucous debates, <laughs> right? I would say, you are wrong. You're way off, right? And uh, I treat her like a roommate. Like, like that's, what, that's how I live with my roommates, right? We'd have these <laughs> raucous debates and pounding tables and telling each other that they're totally off and they're wrong. So I had to learn, right? So it's, if you pin it to relationships, it's a lot easier. It's necessary, right? And it's available. Everyone's got relationships. So if you can, now this is one other way. Individualism and the Western loneliness is a disaster. Oh, absolutely. Because if you, if you have no 
you don't go to your, you don't call your mom you don't call your dad you don't hang out with them at all you never you never spend time with them you don't get married you don't understand what it means to have children you don't so where are your relationships how are you going to develop right so we have to develop through relationships and i think it's jobs and then relationships right and one of the you know requirements of sharia you talked about you know charlie chump that nobody respects him but he's going to have to earn some respect because one of his jobs is pretty tough, which is to make sure that the people in his family don't go astray. Exactly. Right? You can't control their hearts, but you can control, you know, certain things don't enter the house, you know? Okay. Charlie Chump, this nice, smooth, uh, fair faced guy, he does everything right. But now his daughter comes in and you know, she's, she's dressed in a way that's not appropriate. Okay. She's going, she's going out like that. He's got to take action. Now, right? But you have to think about it now. You can take action very easily and scare her, and she's going to change the way she dresses. But you've only got the body. You didn't get the heart. So how are you going to get both? Sharia does not just require us to control the body. You got to control the... You got to be able to impact... The, you have to make her love the person giving the message, the message itself, right? And you have to enforce it at the same time. So how do you balance all that stuff? We'll, do, we'll polish, like you said, polish the character of a person and make them balanced because I'm not just talking to her body or I'm talking to her heart, her soul. Mufti. I mean, um, mashallah, may Allah reward you all. Um, Dr. Shadi reminded me and Fahim Bhai, you reminded me as well. When you mentioned authority, the very misunderstood, uh, unfortunately, uh, intellectually abused ayah of the Quran, Surah Nisa, nisa authority. Men are qawwam over women. I remember at khutbah at NBIC um, where you know, a number of different explanations of qawwam were given as qawwam is from the name of Allah, al-qayyum, which is active, qiyam, which means commitment, istiqama, which means consistency, and then qayyim, deen and qiyamam, um, a principled, person. And then what Dr. Shah, you just mentioned is taqim, giving value to women. Um, and subhanAllah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu and Amr ibn al on an expedition. And so Amr ibn al-As, he, he said, he asked the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who's the most beloved person to you? Ayyun nasi ahabbu ilayka. So the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, qala Aisha, our mother radiallahu anha. So then Abdullah radiallahu he asked, what about the men? Not without having any bad attention that the messenger misunderstood. He just, okay, from the men. Everybody knows how obsessed you are with your wife Aisha, how much you love her and adore her and appreciate her. But the Prophet's answer to the second question, follow-up question is, from the men, he said, Fakala Abuha, her father. And he didn't say Abu Bakr, even though Abu Bakr is his best friend, radiallahu anhu, from before day one. But it's not about Abu Bakr, radiallahu It's about the attention and the value that he's giving to his wife, Aisha, radiallahu anhu, as a husband. And subhanAllah, you, you mentioned it, like, you know, our daughters, right, the way many of them behave. I mean, we asked the question, okay, don't you have a dad? Don't you have... An older brother, I mean, don't you have your husband? Like, what is this type of behavior? And it's not an indictment about it. It's a, you know, very, very serious question that we have to ask to the men, right? In the lives of these women that what are you doing, right? What happened to your authority and what happened to 
your ghayrah and what, what, what has happened. And I think, Faimba, you touched on it as well. It's just a clash of ideologies and, you know, culture and context. And we just are so far removed from a lot of these concepts. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. I mean, that, that's what I thought about. But if I have permission, Dr. Shadi, uh, I would like to uh, share a story of the awliya. We mentioned, I brought up Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, but hopefully this doesn't go over my head every time I read it and every time I share it goes over my head. Hopefully we can think about it and you know, try to extract from it as much as possible. But um, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, right, the sixth grandson of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he was uh, asked about what this topic is all about, right? Um, so, uh, you know, a questioner, a student asked him, okay, uh, what is al-futuwa? And so Imam Jafar asked him to clarify, what do you mean? But what do you think it is? Okay, so that he responded to the sheikh that if I am given something, I show gratitude. And if I am withheld, okay, then I show patience. So Imam Jafar Sadiq replied that that's actually what dogs in Medina Munawwara do. SubhanAllah. That if you are given something, you are grateful. And if you <laughs> withhold, if you don't get something, then you just show pain. So Imam Jafar Sadiq responded like that. I, I like a boss. And so then... I love Jafar Sadiq. <laughs> yeah, yeah. May Allah uh, you know, grant us increased love for the Ahlul Bayt, right? Um, he then said, look, this is what it actually is. If we are given something, we actually give it away to somebody else who needs it. If we are given something, we pass it along. And if we are withheld, if people don't give us something, that's when we show gratitude. SubhanAllah. Okay, like this is a level that, again, I mean, what Fahim Bai mentioned in the beginning, right? We are so far departed and perhaps... A lot of these are very, very idealized, but ultimately that should be our goal and objective. When we talk about masculinity, raising our sons to inshallah one day be good older brothers, one day be good husbands, and one day be good fathers inshallah. And uh, ultimately people who follow in the legacy of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So that's just one. And the final one that I want to share with Imam Jafar al-Sadiq very quickly. Um, uh, he was in the Haram al-Sharif and there was a person a pilgrim who had come. He was in Medina Munawwara. He woke up and he found that his money pouch containing 10,000 dinars was missing. And uh, he did not recognize Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, but Imam Jafar al-Sadiq was doing his ibadah close by and he grabbed him and kind of very belligerently accused him. You took my money. So Imam Jafar al-Sadiq asked him, what was inside your pouch that was missing? I and the pilgrim, he replied that uh, it was 10,000 dinars. So Imam Jafar Sadiq, what he does, he brings him to his home and gives him 10,000 dinar. SubhanAllah. Okay, now when the person goes back to the masjid, he looked around and he actually ended up finding it, misplaced somewhere, his pouch containing 10,000 dinar. He mistakenly thought it was stolen. The man returns to Imam Jafar Sadiq asking for forgiveness and offered to give him back his 10,000 dinar, but Imam Jafar Sadiq refuses to accept it. Allah. So then the man, not knowing the identity of Imam Jafar, went to the people and they told him it was Imam Jafar Sadiq. And mm. so this is what we're talking about that the guy's already in such a distressed state. His money has gone missing 10,000 dinars, right? For a person like that in a time like that. Okay, it's a very, very big deal. Imam Jafar al-Sadiq did not even try to explain to them, it wasn't me or, you know, let's help you look for it. 
he just took it home and he just gave him a thousand ten thousand dinar. And then afterwards, when he figured out, when the, when the when the pilgrim figured out what happened, found his original pouch, he comes back and Imam Jafar said, "This is look, it's okay. You just keep it. Don't worry about it." We're talking about now like a person going into their spiritual reserve and a maturity, and taking responsibility and assessing the situation. Right? We may we may go Allah give us the ability to, shall properly understand these attributes and you know, protect it from those who have hijacked and misinterpreted and incorrectly applied it. And, you know, there's an entire, obviously, attack on the institution of family, Dr. Shadi, as you mentioned as well. Yeah. But um, subhanAllah, right? Th this is the objective, right? That uh, men, they go back to what the Sharia says as far as your role and your responsibility. It goes back to the ayah of taqweem, ar-rijal qawwamun, but uh, Allah knows best. Uh, that's a beautiful story, and I think uh, before we get to Fahim, it's um, we said Futuwa is courage, generosity, and loyalty. It's these three attributes, and what you just described was the definition of generosity. If given something, we give sadaqah. If deprived, we give shukr. Fahim? SubhanAllah. Beautiful story. JazakAllah khair, Mufti. As, as you, were, you were relaying uh, that narration, I was thinking about something that one of my teachers said, and he, he's actually to be credited for the term, uh, the, the terms Charlie Chump and Joe the Jerk. He came Who's that? The, Who said that? His name is Sidi uh, Mustafa Azam. Okay. He's, he's, very, he's well known on Facebook, and uh, he's one of my teachers and great, great mentors. Um, and and he, he, I actually asked him about Fatua, and he said, he said, start with Rajula, and Fatua will flow from that. I'm paraphrasing mm. what he said, because Rajula is manhood, and Fatua is really refined manhood that has been polished by the ethics of Islam. And this is what I was kind of getting at earlier when I was mentioning that in the, in the days of these traditional shuyuk, the, the structure of manhood, the idea that, that, <clears throat> that the, the man establishes the frame, the structure of a relationship, and he, he enforces it and he directs it. And women will tend to uh, mold into that structure or support that structure if they're compatible. This was something that was already well understood. And so discussing this foundation of manhood wasn't necessary. What was necessary was how do you refine it and polish it so that it's ethical. And it's, you're not just talking about, you know, men in the wild West or the men of the, of the, of the Arabian peninsula and the desert, but rather you're talking about men who are applying their manhood to towards fulfilling the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when, when men understand that today, they'll be able to first reestablish the structure of manhood and then polish it with the ethics of Islam. Because what a lot of guys try doing today is they, they're operating from the, the Charlie Chump dynamic. They don't, they don't even have the ability to establish a frame to lead or establish authority in any family context. But they're trying to, they're trying to be ethical. They're trying to be nice, virtuous, but they don't, they're not able to do it in a defined way in a structured way because it's not instead of being generous it's coming across as well i'm being codependent i'm being approval seeking i'm being nice to you so i hope so that you like me i have self-esteem issues it's not really rooted in a deep you know spiritual connection to rasulullah and the <laughs> ethics of islam <laughs> it's coming from a place of i lack an identity i lack an understanding of what my function even is as a man but this is society tells me being nice is good It'll get me approval from other people. Uh, it'll make girls like me. You know, maybe other guys will be my friends. 
and so they're they're being generous often from that from that condition and sometimes they're not even aware dr i think his name is robert glover he wrote a book called no more mr nice guy and he actually addresses this this problem and he says that look to be a man you don't need to be a jerk but being this inauthentic nice guy archetype that's not masculine because it's not authentic you can't even be intimate with people you know your daughter for example if she's if she's falling out of line and seeking approval from society dressing inappropriately it could very well be because you've been the charlie chump character and you haven't been intimate with her truly mm. you think you've been nice to her she should be listening i've been so sweet but your sweetness never came from a place of authenticity it came from you trying to get her approval instead yeah. of showing i love you that's why i'm going to actually restrict your nafs but i am going to feed your fitra i'm, I'm going to nurture it and that's that's sometimes going to come across as you know a little tough but that's true authentic love and so she'll actually care about that father way more she'll she'll, she'll actually desire his affection she'll care about his approval she'll care about you know feeling she'll, she'll, uh, feeling safe with him because he is authentic in his manhood and so therefore him being nice is actually grounded in a structure of you know rojula so his, he he can actually have fatua because it's built on top of that whereas the charlie chump guy he thinks he's you know he's applying fatua but really it's not it's just built on something empty something yeah. undefined man you're a life coach Safina Society should open a branch of life coaching. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> hey, I, I think is that it's about that's uh, one thing that you said that's great was I need to stop your, I need to restrict your nefs, but I need to feed your love. Yeah. It's really true, right? Uh, that's exactly how it has to be. It, that, it's, it looks paradoxical because you're strict about some things, but very loving about others. Because it's different things. Your nafs should be restricted. Your... Go ahead, Mufti. Oh, sorry. sorry no, so yeah, I just wanted to mention one point, uh, just kind of in my conclusion very quickly. But um, you described uh, Rujula a little bit. And I'm not sure who said it, but Aisha radiallahu anha, who uh, I mentioned in the narration just a while ago, um, I can't remember who, but someone is recorded as describing her as a rajul, not as a biological man, but... The Prophet Sallallahu we know that he loved her the most. So just as something to kind of share the other perspective, okay, what about the sisters? I mean, when the Prophet Sallallahu like very emphatically says who he loves the most, he says he loves Aisha radiallahu our mother the most. What type of a woman was she? This archetypes, right? Go back to archetypes. I mean, she led an army. She was a teacher of the men. She was a philanthropist in the society. She's number three, I think, or number two all time in Riwayat of Hadith, okay, she was a faqiha, and um, the Prophet described her as being the one who he loved the most. He's buried in her bedroom right up until Qiyamah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa radiallahu anha. So oh, this wow. notion of, you know, a woman not being able to have these types of attributes, right, is just not there from the get-go, right, and Allah knows best. Yeah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. So I think as we creep closer to Maghrib, I think we can uh, wrap this up. Uh, so any last comments, Dr. Shadi? Yeah, my final comments is don't, uh, for people out there, I don't think anyone of sound mind does this, but don't read this menaced uh, red pill uh, manosphere stuff. It, it just, uh, from what I've seen people reading from it, it, it doesn't have a good impact. I consider it, you know, whatever people say, there's, there's good and bad in it, right? But yeah. how, do you, how are you going to decipher? Why don't you just take from the source that's all good? 
right? And likewise, feminism, there's good and bad in it. There's truth and falsehood in it. Fine, that's true. But why would you risk something that's 50-50 when you have sources that's a source that's 100%? And secondly, my genuine feeling is that it's jobs and relationships, right? By doing jobs, you know, like wax on and wax off. Did you guys see the karate kid? Wax on, wax off. Yeah, of wax on, wax off. It's, it's, it's a motion in karate that he wanted to teach. But instead of saying you need to learn this motion, he just said paint the fence, right? And paint it like this. So by doing certain things and by interacting with certain people, we actually end up uh, learning and taking on these apps. And by having experience, that's why one of the reasons childhood is long. Have you ever noticed the childhood of children uh, to, to adults uh, is longer than animals? is because I believe, personally speaking, that both sides are learning. Both the parents and the children are learning at the same time about their own deficiencies okay, and their own empty spots, and they're developing them over time. If a very strong man has a soft son, it's going to take him years of learning how to deal with that soft son and how to value him. If the opposite's the case, a very soft man, he has a very tough uh, daughter, right? He's going to learn to value that and also how to deal with it, positive and negative, okay? And vice versa. They're going to deal with their parents as well. So it's relationships and it's jobs. And that's something that you can't escape from anyway, so you might as well do it. So my final comment, Dr. Shadi, I don't know if you remember, this is your list on, you just reminded me, this is your list on 10 things that every Muslim man has to do. You're talking about jobs and relationships. Yeah. I'll just quickly list it and maybe we can explore it in the future. Uh, number one, a man takes care of his mother. Number two, a man works, gets a job. Number three, a man assists his father in the income. Uh, these are all taken from the sunnah, from the seerah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Number four, a man marries. Number five, a Muslim man has ghayrah. Inshallah, we need another episode just to talk about that, ghayra. Yeah. But uh, this uh, protective jealousy, dhukura, ghayra. Number six, a Muslim man pays the bills. Mm-hmm. Number seven, a Muslim man does housework. Number eight, a Muslim man educates his family in the deen and in dunya. Number nine, a Muslim man looks distinctly like a man. And number 10 uh, is emotional intelligence, right? The example that we gave of Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, understanding his value of his wife and just kind of validating that by not mentioning the name of Abu Bakr, but mentioning Aisha's father, her father. And Allah knows best. And looks like a man means does not dress in the clothes that people would say is women's and has a beard, right? And does dress and walk and talk in manners that the regular Muslim people that pray five times a day would concur is the habit of men. So it's anecdotal in the sense, but the source that we go to is the Muslims who pray five times a day. What would they say? The elders of the mosque. What would they say is a man's clothes and a woman's clothes? So it's going to change from time and place, but they're the bar. The elderly people who pray in the mosque. Okay. MashaAllah. Jazakumullah khairan. Thanks a lot, Moeen. Of course, mashallah. Fahim, great job. And Mufti, always great to have you on. Thank you. Jazakumullah. 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 J